The Way Out Podcast, episode 142. My sobriety date is April 23rd of 94. I finally found the rooms um, just after my 25th birthday. Randy was the one who broke down kind of what the steps were about, and Mitch took me to my very first meeting. And then being fine, upstanding men of Alcoholics Anonymous, they turned me over to the women which was a terrifying prospect. I certainly avoided a lot of heartache by finding recovery early. Me and God broke up for a while because I couldn't be perfect and he didn't strike me uh, white as snow when I thought he should have. So I thought, well, you know, if I can't be good, I'm just gonna be good at being bad. I wanted to be different. I can remember being a little girl wanting to be anybody but me. You know that chameleon thing that we do? Absolutely. So that was kind of my, that was my go-to because I just never liked who I was. My idea of being bad came from is that I had been um, sexually molested by a neighbor. Oh man. Yeah, and it was going on for, and it was a girl. How old were you? I was from my earliest memories. Wow. She was four years older than me, and um, it was just, a, um, it was so confusing, you know, and I understand that kids are curious, and but you know, and as an adult, I look back and I wonder who did it to her, you mm-hmm. know, that's kind of how I made peace with it, is like, I, I wonder who did it to her, because she was young too. She, mu- she might have been around seven or eight, and I was four years younger than her, so it wow. started early. Welcome Way Out faithful and first timers to this week's installment of the Way Out podcast. We appreciate your ears. Our mission is simple, to bring you powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics so you can jumpstart or re-energize your recovery from alcoholism and addiction. The Way Out podcast does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. The Way Out podcast partners with All Recovery Rings and allrecoveryrings.com, where you'll find stunning recovery rings made from your very own recovery coin. That's allrecoveryrings.com. The Way Out podcast is a proud supporter of Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous, online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check us out on the web at www.wayoutcast.com. There you can subscribe to ensure you get the latest episodes first on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Help us recover out loud by giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Your voice matters, so share your thoughts on recovery with us by calling us at 218-382-1960 or leaving a message with us on the Anchor app, available for Android and Apple. Every week, we'll be asking for your thoughts on next week's topic. Someone, somewhere, needs to hear your share. Finally, a word of caution. This podcast may contain strong language and mature content. Listener discretion is advised. The Way Out Podcast is on right now. I'm Charlie, and this week we've got an incredible interview on tap for you with Arlena, host and founder of the ODAT Chat Podcast and the brains behind SoberLifeSchool.com. Arlena is a 12-step recovery 
powerhouse, and her incredible recovery journey is nothing short of pure inspiration. Arlena's story is a case study in why we don't have to use or drink for decades to be a certified alcoholic or addict, and a model for what long-term recovery can look like. Listen up. Arlena, welcome to the Way Out Podcast. I can't thank you enough for being (laughs) on the show. Super excited to have you on and hear a little bit about you and your story and your recovery journey and talk about uh, uh, ODAT, chat, and uh, 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 other things you got going on as an extension of your amazing recovery. So why don't you uh, introduce yourself to the Way Out podcast audience and you know, give us your sobriety date and um, anything else you'd like to share, and then I think we'll sure. get we'll get started. All right. Well, listen. Thank you so much for having me. Um, we've been trading episodes, and uh, you were just on mine. Well, we actually just recorded. Uh, that was Friday, right? That's right. Yeah. So um, I'm in the hot seat now. <laughs> you know what? And I got to tell you, it was a great. It was such a wonderful experience to be interviewed for your show and uh, just grateful to be a part of it. Yeah, listen, you have such a strong message. Um, I I can't wait to publish it. So I'll I'll definitely, uh, that's going to come out probably in a couple weeks, I think. So I'll be sure to let you know when and and, and, we'll, and we'll, yeah, we'll let our audience know too. So yeah, I'm sure fun. they're just dying to hear more of me. <laughs> right? Well, why not? Right? Right? Yeah. Okay. So let's see. So um, I, my sobriety date is April twenty third of ninety four. I got <laughs> so a couple years ago. <laughs> <laughs> there's a couple twenty four hours in there. Yeah, there's a couple. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, what else did you want to know? <laughs> so yeah, sobriety date and uh, sobriety. Just, okay. just, just a little bit about, you know, sort of, uh, you know, your, your method of recovery and, okay. you know, what that looks like uh, for you. Well, so, um, I got sober, um, through, gosh, I, I, I finally found the rooms, um, just after my 25th birthday, about five months after my 25th birthday, two of my customers were actually in recovery and um, they introduced me to the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, Mitch and Randy were the two guys that sort of introduced me to the program. Um, Mitch kind of broke down. uh, No, actually, Randy was the one who broke down kind of what the steps were about. And Mitch took me to my very first meeting and then being fine, upstanding men of Alcoholics Anonymous, they turned me over to the women, which was a terrifying prospect, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, It's an interesting concept, you know, often in active addiction and alcoholism, you know, we might not have a ton of friends of our own, uh, of our own sex, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, I didn't, yeah. yeah. And I didn't either, you know, and so, you know, this idea that, uh, and, and and thank goodness uh, those two folks, you know, did what they did and uh, and got you turned over. But 25 years old, yeah. uh, and some would say that's pretty, that, that's fairly young, right? Uh, to yeah, begin. it is. Yeah. I mean, I avoided, I, I turned 50 in November and between 25 and 50, lots of amazing things happened. Um, I mean, it hasn't been all like sunshine and roses, but um, I certainly avoided a lot of heartache by 
finding recovery early. Um, I just crashed and burned pretty young. <laughs> you know, it's funny, 25 years, by the way, of continuous sobriety. Yeah. That's, that's, that's remarkable. That's Continuous, yeah. I mean, I um, quit drinking on my 25th birthday, but uh, continued on the marijuana maintenance program for about five months. I did not know when I showed up to my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous that uh, you weren't to claim um, sobriety until you quit everything. Right. <laughs> right. I, I thought this thing was just about alcohol. Wait a minute. Yeah. I was like, this is bullshit. Can we swear? Is it okay to swear? <laughs> oh, yeah. We can swear. Okay. We absolutely can. Okay. I swear. We'll editing like any of those out. I, yeah. You and me are going to get along real well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't think you swore too much online, but... Um, yeah, so crash and burn early at twenty five, and um, I don't I don't know why I was so lucky. I mean, when I I grew up in the church, and so I did have a concept of God that uh, you know, I mean, God broke up for a while because I couldn't be perfect, and He didn't strike me uh, white as snow when I thought He should have. So I thought, well, you know, if I can't be good, I'm just going to be good at being bad type of a thing. <laughs> yeah. um, but when I hit rock bottom, my my prayer was, God, please help me, you know. Often, so, often the most simple prayers are the most effective, so long as they're genuine, yeah? I couldn't agree more. I mean, I just hit that place of surrender, finally. Um, I wanted to be different. I can remember being a little girl wanting to be anybody but me. You mm -hmm. know, I would, I would um, latch on to the popular girl at school or um, – I would always have like a, a best friend that I would kind of cling on to and sort of just try to, you know, that, you know, that uh, chameleon thing that we do. Absolutely. So that was kind of my, that was my go-to because I just never liked who I was. Look, if you knew who I was really. Really. If you really knew who I was, you wouldn't like me. Right. Yeah. You and that's one of those. want to be around me. Right. Right. So, yeah. So we become chameleons so that we uh, can be accepted mm -hmm. uh, and become very good at determining what other people want right. to see yeah. so we can show them that so that we can gain acceptance. The problem with that, obviously, is that it you know, breeds this inauthentic experience that becomes icky in not long-term sustainable, yeah. yeah? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So let's dig into it. Let's uh, talk about your family of origin, where you're from, and you okay. know, let's talk a little bit about what it was like being Arlena growing up. <laughs> yeah, so um, I grew up in Sunnyvale, California. It doesn't get more iconic than that, yeah, right? California girl, I like it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, my parents are very nice people. They didn't drink or use or anything like that. Um, uh, Daddy's from Kentucky and mama's from Mexico City. So I grew up with a lot of praise Jesus. And, I guess. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you had, the southern, you, you had the Southern religion and, you know, it, yeah. right. No kidding. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm serious. Like I went to, yeah. a, like I grew up in a, uh, I spent a lot of time at, at a, when, as a little kid, when parents were still married, we went to a Presbyterian church in Sunnyvale, but uh, I spent a lot of time at a Southern Baptist church when I was like in high school, <laughs> like junior high and high school. Yeah. In the Southern Baptists, as we all, as many of us may know, and some of you may not know, Southern Baptists are very fire and brimstone. <laughs> fire and brimstone. No rhythmic movement. 
Dancing right. is not allowed. That's right. That's right. That's right. There's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of rules up in that church, isn't there? A lot of rules up in there. Yeah. But I think most churches are like that, right? There's always oh, yeah. a lot of rules. The rules of engagement are fairly numerous. <laughs> so numerous. Oh my God. Like we've you know, and 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 you know, if religion gets you to where you need to be, then you know, I support that one hundred percent. So I you know, I used to have this sort of you know, this, this, this resentment against religious adult today, but too many rules for a guy like me, you know, too many rules. rules. Yeah. And I just, uh, couldn't act right. You know, I wanted, I wanted to be good. I really did. And I remember, um, as a young, as a young girl, um, just praying, praying to God to fix me. And Mm. I had been reading books where people had the uh, burning bush variety type of experience where God came in and rescued them and changed them. And their life was different from one particular spectacular moment. And I never, I never got that. At, at least I didn't think I did. Right. Um, and I just gave up on God at some point, but um, you know, things, listen, so I said, I have my, I said, my parents are like super nice people. They really are. Um, and they did uh, try to uh, give me, um, some sort of relationship with a higher power. And I do have an older sister who was the good girl in the family. She was the compliant child. So I it's just born. you and an older sister, yes? Yeah. She was almost two years older than me. So okay. that was like my family of origin originally. And was it difficult because if you, you, you've already discussed really this feeling like you don't belong and, you know, already at a very young age praying for, you know, God to to fix you yeah you've got a sister that's two years older than you that can do no wrong right uh well i wouldn't say that um so but uh, you know where the my idea of being bad came from is that i had been um sexually molested by a neighbor oh man yeah and it was going on for and it was a girl how and old were you i was from my earliest memories Wow. She was four years older than me, and um, it was just a, um, it was so confusing, you know, and I understand that kids are curious, and, but, you know, and as an adult, I look back, and I wonder who did it to her, you know, mm-hmm. that's kind of how I made peace with it, is like, I, I wonder who did it to her, because she was young, too. She, mu- she might have been around seven or eight, and I was four years younger than her, so it wow. started early. Um, it was one of my earliest memories of them moving in, but, um, I felt bad because I, you know, going to church, I knew, um, I knew it's just that kind of an experience changes you. Like it made me feel, it made me feel dirty. It made me feel bad. Um, like that secret, you know, like like unclean. Yeah. Yeah. And just wrong, like Mm -hmm. just bad. It made me feel like, and I used to joke around. I used when I would chair at meetings like out here, well, in, in this, not out, I just moved. So it's like, I, but where I got sober, people used to talk about, um, they would do like a chair where they would share their experience, strength and hope, and then turn the meeting over to the group. And then they would choose people to speak and stuff like that. But whenever I would get up to share my story, I would talk about how, um, I had decided as a young girl that if I couldn't be good, I was going to be good at being bad. But the root of that is that my belief was that I was bad. Mm. Right. And I think that's where that came from. Mm. So it was really, um, that's what I was coming from, right? This, my self-esteem was really low and everything, um, 
I saw was through this lens of that I wasn't good enough. Did you come out of that experience? Do you feel like that really, you know, had a lot to do, nothing to do, something to do with, uh, you know, uh, later um, substance use? Absolutely, it did. Yeah, because it uh, it skewed it skewed my my uh, view of myself. You know, simultaneously, I was um, uh, performing with this Mexican dance company, and um, I was traveling and performing on stage as a really young girl, and that was my place of bliss when I could perform on stage in front of an audience and people would clap and cheer. And I got to be like, I was on TV a few times, like the cable network access and, and uh, a couple other things when all my friends saw me on TV, it was like, I had like this. um, It was so interesting because on one hand I felt amazing. And then on the other hand, it was as if it it was that what you just said earlier about if they only knew who I was Mm. really. They wouldn't like me. That was your happy place, but you had this thing inside of you, yeah. right? This secret, this yeah. that, dark that, side, darkness, yeah, right? That nobody Just could darkness. know, right? Did yeah. you, did your parent, did you ever tell at that point, right? Mm-hmm. They never your knew. Parents never knew. No. Right? Nobody knew but you and your neighbor. Yep. And yep. What, what a toll that must have taken. Yeah. I mean, it was rough. I mean, there was one time when my mom um, walked in when it was happening, but she freaked the fuck out. And it was, uh, it was like a very shameful, um, like it was a horrifying experience. Mm. It was just full of, you know, I was horrified and it was, was it like, we will speak none of this, right? Never spoke of it again. Yeah. Yeah. Which and it was horrible. It's been my experience, you know, in terms of some of the, um, yeah, that, that manifested in certain ways in my, in my experience as well. And sometimes I think religion informs that. Mm-hmm. Um, we will speak none of this, you know, as long as we don't talk about it, that it's not real. Right. Yeah, and in all fairness to my mom, it's like she didn't know what to do with that information. Like, and and that was and that was my experience of my mom. It's just like she's this hardworking person um, that she just didn't know how to help me manage my feelings. I had really big feelings, and her way of dealing with my feelings was just to shut me down. Mm-hmm. Like, as she would get angry, so it's like her anger felt big, mm-hmm. right? And I would just, mm-hmm. you know, withdraw. Mm-hmm. So, and I wasn't like a meek, you know, child. My sis, my older sister was kind of like the, um, the weak one. Mm-hmm. She, you know, my mom was kind of a critical parent and I'll just say that she is a completely different person today. She's like my best friend. She's amazing. <laughs> She's positive. But, um, back in the day she was pissed. <laughs> it's a you know, she, deal. Yeah. 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 Was- I mean, I felt like she had two two predominant feelings. She was either really happy or really pissed. And I felt like she saved the happy face for the outside world. Right. And so I had two predominant feelings. I was either, I was guilty and wrong all mm-hmm. the time. You know, mm-hmm. she, she was like a critical parent. But she, my sister caught the brunt of the um, critical side because uh, 
I would fight back. So I think my, my mother respected me on some level. I would fight back with her um, where my sister didn't. And she, my mom was always trying to fix my sister. Um, she, she was just a little um, different. You know, she had this kinky, curly hair and she was quiet and shy and bookwormish. And I was like outgoing and doing all this fun stuff and had lots of friends. And I think my mom was always trying to change her and stuff. So my sister got the brunt of the, but she didn't, she didn't use drugs or alcohol to cope. She was my, um, the first time I drank, I was at home alone with my sister and, uh, and I don't know why I decided to, to drink, but I must've been between eight and 10. I was pretty young. My mom had, my parents had divorced. Dad moved um, out. He was nearby and a great dad. Was it, was it a, uh, um, a, Tough divorce was the divorce. Nope. Okay. Super. They were very civil to each other. I was very lucky that way. They were very civil to each other. I don't actually remember them fighting. And then a couple of times, my sister and I think I was just too young. I was like six or seven. Yes. So I think maybe I just blocked it all out. But a couple of times, my sister was like, "Remember when mom this and that happened?" And I was like, "Oh gosh, I don't even remember any of that." But mm-hmm. um, so you're between eight and nine. Dad's out of the house. We're living yeah. with mom, mm-hmm. right? And how does one happen on alcohol when they're eight or nine? Well, you know, there was a dusting. My parents never, I never, I don't never saw my parents drink really. Um, but I think that there was a bottle that must have been left over from a party or something. It was like this. I remember it like it was yesterday. There was, it was a clear glass, but with brown liquid. And um, I remember thinking it would be a great idea to drink some. Mom was out on a date. It was just me and my sister home alone. And, um, I poured it with some juice, and I remember that first sip of alcohol. I remember it uh, burning my lips and then burning all the way down. But when it hit bottom, that warmth spread throughout my body, and all of a sudden, everything, all the self-consciousness, all the self-loathing, all the self-hatred, all of a sudden, all that was lifted, and all I felt was like that pure bliss feeling, you know, like... I, I had experienced that pure joy like when I was performing or doing sports and doing well. Like I was very performance-based approval type of thing. But anyway, when all that, I took that drink and it was magical. And suddenly I felt good. And it was that just juxtaposition between feeling really bad and feeling really good mm-hmm. that the contrast was so stark that I, I have chased that. I used to say chase it until I got sober, but let's be honest. I mean, who doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't chase that feeling of, of bliss, right? Absolutely. Absolutely yeah. we do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we do. Just, I think in sobriety, realign it a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And and we can talk about ways of, you know, having those experiences sober, mm. you know. But mm. it was really you know, interesting. just mind-blowing experience. You really mm-hmm. liked how that made you feel for the first yeah. time in your life. All of these negative sort of icky feelings mm-hmm. that you had been living in with, you know, at that age, what tools do we have to be able to deal with these this really really big stuff that you're that you're you're trying to navigate with, right? Zero tools, right? Zero None. tools. Zero. Yeah, and not to mention that the uh, divorce was really hard on me. My dad was the nurturing parent. He left, sure. so I was left with an angry mom, and and I didn't know it until lots of therapy and years later that little kids internalize their parents' divorce as being their fault. Like if I could only, if I, 
could have only been good enough, maybe he wouldn't have left, mm-hmm. you know? And it was really mm-hmm. hard for me as a girl to have the dad leave. Mm-hmm. Like it felt like I, he didn't leave me, but he left. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that was also really hard on me too. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see a lot of your dad after that? Or All the time. I had the best dad in the world. I mean, he, he was so sweet. He would, um, both my sister and I had like, um, a date with them every week. Like I had Tuesdays and she had Thursdays and I was always like super busy. I blew him off all the time, but I swear if something happened, I could call my dad and he would drop what he was doing and come home. He was that kind of dad. Yeah. 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 I mean, he wasn't perfect or anything like that, but that was really important to me to, um, that he was always, he was always there. But, um, yeah. So, but that, that was the first, that was my first experience with alcohol. And from my first till my last at 25, there was like a series of what I would call um, episodes. <laughs> mm-hmm. so you, were you an episodic drinker? How would you describe well, your alcohol use after that first time? First of all, I want to know what the thought was. So you have this amazing experience. Yeah. Threw Deli- up everywhere. Yeah. My delivered family. courtesy yes, of alcohol what was your second thought with regard to alcohol after this amazing experience gosh you know i don't really remember to be honest i mean i i um you know i didn't i didn't go crazy Mm -hmm. at first it took a while for it to build up some steam you know i was also super boy crazy so that was like another it was another obsession really for me to um to distract myself from my negative feelings. Yeah. Obsession. That's the purpose of obsession. Whether it's, I don't care what people are addicted to. The purpose of obsession is to distract us from our negative feelings. Mm. As long as we're wrapped up in something else, typically in thought, whether it's shopping, sex, um, sugar, exercise. I've seen people. Absolutely. (laughs) Which addictions in recovery. I had a friend who started running in recovery and he was a he was Forrest Gump is what he was when he first got sober and got shin splints and it was like dude chill out but I mean <laughs> it's funny the things that we do no doubt about it yeah no doubt about it and I love that so an obsession yeah exists because conditions within us are ripe yeah. right yeah in order for this obsession to manifest itself right. And yeah. the obsession exists to distract me. Right, from my from feelings. All of people the use, negative feelings I have. People use uh, toxic relationships. Um, that's another big one that I yeah. see, especially early recovery. Mm-hmm. They get sucked into drama, family yeah. drama, friendship drama. Right. It's a, anything that is taking up space in your head in an obsessive way is, is a distraction from what's really going on. They say in the big book that... Um, Alcohol is but a symptom of a deeper problem, right? So it's, it's all these, you know, the long story short is that all these um, things that were going on inside me, I would just, I would just push them down. I, I worked really hard to disconnect from my feelings. And, um, it, it, you know, I worked so hard to disconnect from them that when I got sober and all these feelings were coming up, I, could, I couldn't identify what they were. It was oh, like, man. It was like those, um, do you remember those old school pictures of the phone operators 
where they're sitting in front of a switchboard and there's all these holes. It's all these, and they have all these plugs. Yes. Yes. And trying to, yeah, that's how I felt with my feelings. It was like, I had all these plugs and I was, I had all these feelings and I didn't know which plug went into which hole. I was like, what is, I couldn't identify my feelings. I was like, what is this? I had such a similar experience, Arlita, when I first got sober because all feelings felt the same to me. Uh, Yes. Or or anxious. For me, they always felt anxious. Yeah. It, it, it just felt anxious and the really, I, uh, I became a artist in terms of being able to squash those things down immediately as they came up because my experience with feelings when I was younger, after my mom died, was they're so overwhelming that they could actually oh. that, that that they could actually cause you to be debilitated. So that was my experience, and so my experience informed me that feelings were bad, feelings were scary, they were overwhelming, and you may not be able to get through them. Yeah. Right? They may actually debilitate you. Yeah, or kill you. Right, or kill you. Yeah, I mean, and I, and I felt for a long time that um, drugs and alcohol saved me to some That's extent right. because if I had to feel all the pain I was feeling, you know, um, you know, I felt suicidal at one time. I mean, not seriously. Like I, I know some other people who actually attempted suicide, but I, thought, I entertained the thought, you know, for a while. But I had drugs and alcohol to help numb those feelings. Um, you know, teenage years are rough, you know. Boy, I'm glad you said that, Arlena, because I feel yeah. the same way about it. I really believe that because I didn't have the tools necessary in order to be able to cope with you know, just all the 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 the, the, the stuff, the, the emotions and these powerful emotions that Yeah, you know, so overwhelming. Yeah, that drugs and alcohol absolutely, you know, you know, did they turn against me? You dang skippy they did. But yeah. you know, uh, for a good while there, um, they got me through uh, a period of time that I'm not sure I would have gotten through otherwise. Yeah, I totally relate. I, I often say that my, you know, alcohol was my savior until it became my executioner. Ha, oh, I love that. Yes, yeah. absolutely. It, there were so many times where um, I feel like alcoholism is like a near-death experience. Like so many times, um, you know, I'd wake up the next morning and just be like, I, I I literally, literally could have died or maybe should have, you know, drove drunk all, you know, one eye with one eye open, <laughs> covering one eye. Yes, you know, the window yeah. open. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I remember one, one day, we, you know, waking up with that horrible sinking feeling like something had gone terribly wrong the night before and going outside and looking at my, I had like this little Ford Ranger. It was super cute. I walked outside and there were like weeds sticking out between the, yeah. the uh, hood and the fender. <laughs> yes. And yes. Like, and you're I doing this. I went off road on accident. How did I get here? How did I right? get here? How oh did my God. I- <laughs> my, um, it was not an infrequent experience to open my eyes in the morning and go, oh my God, that's not my feeling. <laughs> I mean, like if I'm going to encapsulate. Yes. If you could encapsulate your active alcoholism, Arlita, it was marked by a series of 
That is not my fucking ceiling. <laughs> that is not my ceiling. Where am Here, I? check this out. My tagline at meetings for years has been, if it was in a bottle, a bag, or blue jeans, I was doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. this, girl, this girl comes up to me. She goes, oh, my God. The first time I heard you say that, I was so embarrassed for you. And I was like, bitch, please. You were not <laughs> the first virgin to show up to Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> You know what? But when we embrace our truth, and you know what I mean? Yes. And, you know, then your judgment really doesn't have too much of a, like, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm all I'm right. good. Yep, I'm, I'm all, all right. good. You cannot shame. Like, I have no shame anymore. That's right. That's right. I'm good. You know, I got, yep, I got right with it all. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, uh, I really did. Like, I'm in peace with all that. 100%. I love <laughs> So tell me, was your active alcoholism sounds like it was it was really characterized by binge a binge episodes? Would yeah, you- I was I was definitely a binge drinker, and I was drinking a lot. It wasn't like I was I wasn't a daily drinker per se. Like I never woke, I never had DTs or shaky hands in the morning or anything like that. But I was definitely like like the only reason I drank was to black out. I blacked out all the time, blacked out, threw up. Oh my God. So I threw up so often that I used to say that if I didn't have splash marks on my shoes the next day, it wasn't a good time. <laughs> well, I was keeping it classy. You know, there's a story in the big book uh, in, in the back. One of the stories that said that you know, where the guy writing the story said that he drank to the point of not being able to feel his face. <laughs> would often and would often say, if I can still feel my face, I'm not drunk enough yet. I'm not drunk enough yet. Right. Wow. You know what I mean? So we all have our sort of like this gauges. Is where, yeah, <laughs> this is where I wanna be. Right? <laughs> yeah. You know? Puking. That was the goal. <laughs> yeah, that was right. Yeah. Oh man. And I threw up in some very fine establishments because I was sort of a snob drinker at the same time. <laughs> did you then, after these experiences, did you try to moderate or did you try to change some things? Oh, or did you yeah. Try, how am I going to keep drinking and not have consequences? How did that manifest as, you know, sort of mm. experiences and consequences started to surface? Yeah, I mean, I, I would try to control my drinking with like, oh, I'll drink a glass of water between each glass of alcohol. You know what I mean? Like Absolutely. that kind of thing, you know, switching from hard alcohol to just like beer and wine or, um, you know, don't drink, start drinking during the week before Wednesday or, uh, I mean, you know, ad infinitum, just like the book says, I tried, yeah. to, tried to control it, but you, I couldn't really control it and enjoy it at the same time. Were you in this place when you went on a a bender, a spree, as they would call it in the big book, right? Um, <laughs> were you of the mind that, hey, whatever I've learned from the last time, I can apply to this time and this time, you know, I'm going to be able to drink effectively. I'm going to be able to manage it. Uh, or was it sort of reckless abandon for you? 
Yeah, it was reckless abandon and any negative consequences I was experiencing was, um, I like to play victim. So it was, it was everybody else's fault. Sure. And the way, and the way I like to drink, it was always, you know, get dressed up. It was always, uh, we were always on a manhunt, me and this other girl that I used to hang out with all the time. Um, it was about the good time for me was dressing up, getting lots of attention, drinking a lot. And then, you know, f I was always looking for, <laughs> I know it sounds terrible. I really was looking for love. I had this idea. I fell for the fairy tale ideal early on. I felt that if I could only make enough money or find the right guy and being loved, then my life would be perfect. Sure. And Truth be told, um, I wasn't that far off because it, in the end, it was love that saved me. It just didn't show up in the way that I thought it would. Mm. Um, but I, I was just looking to blow off steam. I just wanted to have a really good time, you yeah, know, dancing, right. music, boys, um, you know, getting lots of attention. That was my idea of a good time. Did that? Did those activities, the, the drinking and the and the boys and the, was that that freedom that 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 you know freedom from the bondage that that otherwise existed in your life? Like it was, um, it was freedom, but it was also that f I was searching for that feeling of bliss, like I would be able to get when I was a little girl dancing on stage, you know. I was I was chasing that that good time, just the laughter and the fun and the, uh, you know I loved I don't know my we would, <laughs> me and this girl Andy would wake up the next morning and laugh about the escapades or whoever I was hanging out with. We would wake up the next morning and laugh about the crazy shit we did the night before. Mm -hmm. Like that's what I was chasing and and uh, but but there it was pointless really. I mean I was looking looking to fall in love. I, I just thought if I could find him. That was really the main pursuit, right? The the per, the one yeah, <laughs> the knight in shining armor that's going to make everything okay. That's going to yeah it's yeah gonna solve all my problems and it's going to complete me, right? Yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was really a love addiction, is what it was. It was all wrapped up in booze and yeah. I always tell folks that you know alcohol was my first love. Yeah, and it really was to me a love affair. Yeah. In so many ways, but you know, uh, uh, you know, my lover was doing me wrong. I just didn't know it for a long time. Yeah, right. And it felt yeah. so right, yet it was so very, very wrong. So wrong, you know, and like a bad, toxic relationship. Yes, right? that feels so right at the beginning, right? Yeah. And there's yeah. that infatuation, right? Yeah. In the beginning, yeah. it just feels like you know everything that you'd ever been looking for, right? is mm -hmm. right there that that person completes you. That's how I felt about alcohol. Yeah. And I needed to get high enough to rise above my negative feelings. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. the whole purpose of getting high. It's literally rising above my negative feelings. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I was having consequences. Um, I always worked. Um, so I never lost a job because of my drinking, but I certainly missed, missed time. Um, I remember like being so hungover and then driving to work and having to open the door so I could puke um, on the way to work, like that kind of a thing. Absolutely. Super classy. So tell yeah. me, tell me, you're drinking with this reckless abandon. You're having yeah. some consequences, but they're really not um, uh, to the point where that's gonna, you know, motivate any sort of change. You know, what transpires um, that starts changing things for you? 
When does the dynamic change for you? Well, no longer chasing boys and partying and everything is, uh, you know, uh, everything is good. And even when it's not so good, it's still good enough where I don't want to change. When does the dynamic change for you? So I've always been like somewhat of a seeker. Like I'm always, I was always looking to better myself. I was always looking, you know, I was always, I was living in the self-help section of Barnes and Noble, you know, and those shelves are filled with answers, right? It's like, you know, how to get six pack abs, how to make more money, how to get in touch with, you know, your higher self and, you know, how to have better sex, how to cook better food, how to, you know, get and get in better shape. And, but it was all outside stuff, right? It really wasn't inside stuff. Mm. And I uh, was, I later learned that I was trying to think my way into right living. And I found out later in Alcoholics Anonymous that I needed to live my way into right thinking. And and I, that's jumping ahead a little bit, but you're, to answer your question, I was in a relationship. I finally landed this hostage slash boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, we, don't, we don't have relationships. We take to hostages. We take hostages, right. <laughs> so I took this guy hostage, bless his heart. Um, and he smoked weed and, and drank like I did. Well, he smoked weed like I did. He didn't really drink like I did. But um, he was what I thought my ideal was. He was very handsome. And um, he thought he was what I thought my ideal was. And I was losing him because of my drinking. Mm. Like I was in this uh, outside sales gig and um, I worked for a transportation company. So most of my customers were men um, that worked in like shipping and receiving and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I'm in, in Silicon Valley, you know, I'm, you know, it's all technology based, uh, you know, companies that I'm working for. But anyway, I was losing I was losing my boyfriend because of my drinking and um, I, that's where I met Mitch and Randy. They were my customers Mm. and we'd go to lunch and they would order iced tea or soda. And I sometimes order a beer or a glass of wine, even if they weren't drinking. And, you know, I saw my job as, you know, making friends and, and I would share some of my stories with them and they'd share their stories with me. And what I didn't realize is they were carrying the message. (laughs) <laughs> and, yeah. And I remember, so I had my last drink on, uh, on my 25th birthday uh, and I was dating this guy and we were at the bar and I was just a, like a complete asshole. I black out and I just am weird when I'm, tr- when I'm that loaded. And um, I, was, I remember dancing with some other guy and, you know, getting away from him because my boyfriend was, I don't, I don't know, it was like just one of those nights. And this is the night of my the my bottom, really. Um, it sounds like one of those nights where there was some bad juju going on, right? Oh my where there was, some I was stuff just going on with the boyfriend. Super drunk. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. was out behaving yeah. scandalously, and I was mm-hmm. super drunk. And we start. We were living together, and we drive home, and he's driving, and I'm in the passenger seat of this truck, and uh, we pull up to the parkway, and I'm about to throw up, right? And I could just see it. And I remember looking at him and his face was just, I had seen that look of disgust before, right? But um, I just opened the door and I was trying to get out. You know, the parkway, it's like it has grass on it and stuff. And I'm trying to get out and I'm so loaded. I don't recognize that I'm still buckled in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm like trying to get out and I'm, you know, he leans over like with this look of disgust and goes, click, he reaches over and hits the button. I tumble out of the truck. 
I'm throwing up everywhere. And he just takes one look at me and he closes my door and he drives and he goes and parks the car. It's like, nobody's going to bother her. And I remember throwing up so hard the next day. I had what's called petechia. I didn't know what that was, but it's like when you throw up so much, you get broken blood vessels under your eyes. Yeah. Yeah. That was not a, that was not the first time I had experienced that, but I remember waking up the next, like I was, I'm sure it was alcohol poisoning, but I remember the next day going, I am never going to drink again. Is that the first time that that thought? Okay. But it was the lot. I mean, I had never felt that way before. I never, and I don't remember if Mitch and Randy were taking me to meetings yet. I don't remember the timeline. Um, but you're being actively 12 stepped kind of in this, this time frame in this process. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't remember the time. I don't remember the exact sequence of events, but, um, they're, they're 12 stepping me. I wake up the next morning and I'm like, I never, I never want to drink again. And I haven't. And you know, and then I took a big bong hit as soon as I said that. You know? <laughs> the marijuana maintenance. And that's when the marijuana maintenance yeah. started. So I had my last drink on my 25th birthday in November. And then in April, um, I was able to finally stop smoking weed. And it took me 60 days to get 30. But once I got those 30 days, then it was on like Donkey Kong. My boyfriend and I broke up. I went to go live on my mother's couch. I, my job was like t- I was tanking at work. Like I really wasn't making any money anymore because I couldn't get motivated to, to do my job. And my mom let me sleep on her couch until she could, um, she had a room, she was renting out my old room. There was a college nearby. So um, she gave my, um, she gave her tenant like a 30 day notice and he moved out so I could have my room back. And that, wow. that was like my recovery house. Wow. And I started going to meetings. I was like, they, were, they wrote welcome home on the chalkboards. And I was like, I felt, and I felt it to mm-hmm. my core. And I went to the church. I spent the first 30 days at the church that I grew up in at the Sunnyvale Presbyterian church. And it was, it was, and I, and I, they told, they told me to seek recovery the way I sought drugs and alcohol. If I put and, half and, the energy and you into saw it. welcome home. Yeah. And that, uh, that's amazing. Do they write that where you are? You know, I've probably seen it once or twice, but to me, you know, coming down like that, right. When, you know, I just think that's an amazing thing. And it was your home church too, too. So it was, yeah. yeah. And I got married there. It's sacred ground for me. And when I left that area, I just moved to Idaho. And when I left there, um, I did a speaker meeting which I don't know. So a speaker meeting, I don't know if they're all the same where you guys are, but it's like where you speak for 45 minutes. I brought a 10 person chair, a 10 minute chair. And, but it was like a very full circle moment. So I spent my first 30 days of sobriety and that's, and that's the last place I spoke when I left. That is so cool. Yes. We absolutely have speaker meetings here. And, okay. Uh, you know, I highly recommend them for all of you would way out podcast land, uh, uh, so much identification and, uh, um, you know, seeing your story and other people happen at speaker meetings. And they're a very non-threatening way to attend your first, by the way, 12 Yeah, you don't have to speak. That's right. Yeah. You don't, you don't have to share or identify right. yourself or anything. Yep, yep. That's amazing. Yeah. That's, that's, so tell me a little bit about that recovery process. You've, you've been 12 step by two yeah. uh, um, uh, male members of, uh, yeah. uh, of Alcoholics Anonymous and... Uh, as you alluded to before, they did 
uh, uh, something very, very, very important. And yeah, they turned me over to the women. Yeah, what does that be? What do they mean? What do you mean by they turned you over to the women? What does that mean? Well, they were like, you need to find a woman sponsor. They were like, you need to um, find some friends, some girlfriends to, uh, uh, you know, start nurturing your support group type of thing. But, you know, and I heard it, um, they're like, look, you get a big book, you go to meetings, you get a sponsor and you start working steps, but mm-hmm. you, need to, you, need to, you need to find a female sponsor. And I was like, oh my God, because I didn't really have great relationships with women. They were either, um, I mean, I saw them as competition for men more than anything else, Right. right? Right, yeah, right, uh, like sharks in the water, right? Like, <laughs> sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, women are vicious. <laughs> yeah, the less fins, the better. Yeah, you know. So, <laughs> and you know what? The thing is, Charlie, is I spent so much time and energy decorating the outside that I didn't, I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like I had anything on the inside. Like mm-hmm. I didn't know how to relate to women, right? I really didn't, and I was terrified. But I was so desperate to be sober. I. At the end, I felt lonely, broken, desperate. Um, I just couldn't go on that way anymore. I couldn't. And I was willing to do anything. And so when they said that I had to work with the women, I was like, whatever, I will do whatever. And the, the woman I asked to be my sponsor, she remembered my name the second time she met me. My name is not that easy to remember. Um, I'm always impressed when someone remembers my name, but she did. And, um, and I was terrified because I kept going to meetings and I kept hearing about this ominous fourth step and that people would do steps <laughs> one, right. two, and three and relapse. And I was terrified of relapsing. So I was like, I need to find someone to listen to my inventory pronto of today. Like I was in such a hurry. I was like, oh my God. But I met this woman who remembered my name the second time she met me. I swear it was as if the clouds had parted and the sun was shining, the rays of sunshine were coming down on her head. I was like, oh, this is your sponsor. <laughs> so I, you know how I asked her to sponsor me though? I was like, uh, would you listen to my inventory? <laughs> and she said- That's a great sponsor pickup line, by the way. <laughs> well, like I highly her. recommend that for anybody that's looking for a sponsor. Use that as your pickup line. Hey. <laughs> your pickup line. Hey. Would you listen to my inventory? (laughs) (laughs) That's how I asked her. And God bless her. She said, I would be honored, but we're going to start with step one. (laughs) (laughs) Good for her. Good for her. Yes. I'm like, oh, okay. And I have learned since that the steps are in order for a reason. You know, you build this foundation and, and that's what we did. And I did chase the solution with the same amount of vigor as I chased the drugs and alcohol you know, I, I don't do anything in half measures. I jump in with both feet and all things, you know, that's the benefit of being the extreme personalities like we are. So, Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Pers- so you were in, you were all in like, I was hey, all in. you know, you've reached this point of, uh, of desperation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And demoralization. Oh yeah. I mean, I hated who I was. They told me all I had to change was everything. And I was like, sign Sweet. me up. Yeah. I'm in, was, right. I'm in. There was nothing I left that I wanted. Oh, I love that. That idea that you had, you know, reached this point where, you know, Surrender. yes. And I'm all in, let's go gangbusters on this deal and see what happens to you engage oh, yeah. with a sponsor that's uh, 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 also a female and she starts you out at step one. Yeah. Give me the, 
um, you know, the, the transformative piece of the steps. <sighs> like, ooh. yeah. As you're working through these steps, one of the things you said earlier, which I, I embody and in, in really, really try to convey every episode is that I have to act my way into right thinking mm-hmm. and, and instead of trying to think my way into right act. Like I can't, I've got to, I've got to live this thing and then my brain gets figured out sometime afterwards, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I think AE could also be like overthinkers anonymous. It's like I tended to just overthink everything, but it's not. It's about the actual. What I learned, what I learned was about cause and effect, right? This was the first time that I learned that I wasn't at the effect of the world. I wasn't a victim. Things weren't happening to me. That um, I was actually creating. Uh, the scenarios that I was being affected by. Like I was the cause, not at the effect, right? Mm-hmm. It's like people that were being assholes to me were typically acting in response to something I did, mm. right? News right. to me, surprise, surprise. So what you were putting out in the world <laughs> was triggering a certain effect. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah, like I was choosing, <laughs> like I've heard this about, like in relationships, the problem isn't that you're meeting a bunch of assholes. The problem is that you keep giving them your phone number. <laughs> That's the problem, right? Like they ask you out on a date and you go. That's right. the problem. That's the issue. Yeah. But I was a, you know, water seeks its own level. So when someone even now tells me about how horrible their, their boyfriend, spouse, they're telling me what they're really telling me is what they feel they deserve. Mm, what they're they, telling me, this is, this is all I deserve is somebody who's, who, abu- who is abusive to me. Yeah. Because that's what we, we only allow what we feel we deserve. That's mm-hmm. why like my big thing is about build your self-esteem. Mm. We don't need to tell people that they need to break up with their whatever. I say, I tell people that you need to work on building your self-esteem and those things naturally fall away. Absolutely. 100%. So this idea that you're working through the steps and that you're taking these practical actions. Actions. Yeah. That are All about the actions. Yeah. You know, but I needed to see, I needed to see um, things in black and white. What I didn't know is that the, the steps are largely a writing exercise. And um, so I was writing, so step one was about writing the definitions of powerlessness and unmanageability and looking for examples in my life in the past of, as it related to the, to the drugs and alcohol and how was my life and how was I powerless? Well, you know, I could never predict my behavior uh, once I started drinking. I, I, I talk about how I had two alter egos. It was either badass Betsy or wimpy Wendy because mm. I was either fighting or crying. Mm. I could never predict who else, who was going to, I could never just predict. And I couldn't predict, um, you know, where I would end up. I mean, there was, I lost all control once I started drinking. Mm-hmm. And then the unmanageability part was, is uh, my self-esteem was in the toilet. My, my work suffered. My health suffered. Um, I, I was just uh, sad and miserable. I felt bewildered most of the time. Like it was, I like didn't understand why it seemed like, and I've always been kind of ambitious. Like, you know, I, I've always thought money would solve my problems, right? If I could have the cute clothes or you know, cute car, cute pad or whatever, then I don't know what I thought was going to happen. But, um, 
you know, I was always trying to, to, and I just couldn't, I couldn't make myself work harder at work. I just couldn't meet any of my goals because I was always too, too drunk or too stoned to, you know, <laughs> meet my goals. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I was just, I was just bewildered and doing these writing exercises uh, helped me to see my powerlessness, my unmanageability and how it was affecting my life. And I, I like the fact that you've equated, you know, because a writing exercise is an action, right? And yes. we've got to take these actions in order to move through these steps and be able. So did you finally get your sponsor to listen yeah. to your inventory, Arlita? Because God bless her. Yeah, yeah. You asked her and she said, yes, but we got to start at step one. Yeah. Uh, I got to know. Were you able to share your <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And what was interesting is that, uh, you know, I showed up to Alcoholics Anonymous completely self-centered, but absolutely incapable of self-examination. Mm-hmm. And step four was that searching and fearless moral inventory of myself. And um, I, I remember being terrified going to her house and, and I had all these pages and you know, all these people I was resentful at. And we got really specific about the cause of my resentments, right? And she explained to me things like, you know, resentments are um, like, you know, little pebbles that you put in a bag and you're carrying this bag and you throw it over your shoulder and you're carrying, and all these little resentments are just weighing you down. But, you know, like, like the switchboard operator, I was so disconnected with my feeling from my feelings. I mean, I was just burying that stuff that I wasn't, I was, I didn't understand why, um, like when I got drunk that all my anger would come out, you know, mm. I was so confused about how I couldn't, I, anyway, I was so confused. So but, this, yeah. These emotional sort of like, um, um, disconnectedness that was occurring within you. Right. Which I could so intimately identify know, with. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. why did, why do I get so angry sometimes? Yeah. Why, why am so I so angry? sad sometimes? Yeah. And why am I so anxious at other times? And why don't I like any of it? Like any of it. And why is yeah. it the only time that I feel a, a, a sense of, comfort and a sense of peace is when I'm annihilated. Why is that the only time? Right. Um, And then when you get sober, all of these feelings, you know what the good news is, you know, uh, 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 you're going to be able to start feeling again. The bad news is is that you're going to (laughs) start feeling again. Yeah. Right. And you get to figure out what these feelings are Mm -hmm. and go through this process of identifying, okay, this is what it feels like to be anxious. This is what it feels like to be angry. This is what it feels like to be frustrated and Mm -hmm. to be uh, lonely and insecure and this is what, and this is the most important one that I learned, and maybe you could identify with this, but fear, fear. Oh, yeah. The most important feeling for me to identify, and I, and I was riddled with it. I was riddled with fear. Yeah. You identify Didn't with even that? recognize it. Yeah, I didn't even recognize it. Yeah, I had none. I had no ability to recognize that until I got so. Yeah, and my fears were, like in step seven, it talks about... Um, the fear of um, losing something we have or not getting something that we're demanding, that's like right. demanding. And that's really interesting, uh, an interesting word that they chose there, but, that, but that's what it was like. And, and we're um, demanding more, more of more our, than our fair share, share of, 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 of pleasure. 
from it, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Security, pleasure. Yeah. I, don't, yes. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's what I needed to, you know, and it became about in what I did, this is really important for me to mention as an early sobriety, when all these feelings were coming up, I would call my sponsor mm. or I'd call a friend and we would yes. talk. And you'd reach out. You would actively always. make a choice, which is an action. And this action was always to reach out and say, hey, I don't like how I'm feeling right now. Yeah, I don't even, I don't know, even what know what it is. It is. Bingo. <laughs> Bingo. Yeah. I don't even know what it is. Yes. And I would talk yes. and I would talk with somebody who would give me like a safe space to just go through it and we would process out loud and I we would identify and and just being able to just being able to name it half the time mm-hmm. would make it go away. And not so scary anymore. And not so scary anymore. You yeah, know? but that, you know, that's the benefit of being, you know, they told me I was going to be able to turn defects into assets and being self-centered was one of my defects, but it turned into an asset because any, I was so self-centered that I was like, I would be like, I would call someone and be like, oh my God, I'm having a feeling. What is this? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And then it became about emotion management. I, 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 sobriety yes. for me has yes. become about emotion management. Isn't that so true, Arlena, yeah. that it's, it's much about manage identifying identifying and managing often what seemed to be either overwhelming or unmanageable or yeah. just plain unwelcome yeah feelings and i it, it, that's been my experience to a t yeah, and check this out. So I have a sponsor who, so once I identified these feelings, um, a lot of times it was me, it was a pro, especially during the inventory, it was about a, a process of acknowledging my char- uh, character defects, right? Mm. But what do we do once we acknowledge that we have character defects, right? It's like, um, you know, I had a sponsor who not only helped me identify my character defects, but she also had me write an asset list, which is so important. Cool. I think it's so important. You know, we get caught up in the uh, our character defects. But it's also important to acknowledge your assets. But my, my current sponsor um, kind of threw down the gauntlet. She says to me, can you love your unlovable parts? Can you mm. learn to love yourself anyway, even though you have these character defects? And that has been, that has been the one thing that has helped me evolve is to learn to love my unlovable parts. Because mm. once I, and here's the thing, you can't love or hate something about somebody else unless it's something you love or hate about yourself. So as I brush up against other people in life and I don't like them because they are displaying um, self-centeredness, um, you know, whatever, they're being judgmental, they're being um, whatever it is I'm judging them for. Uh, what, I'm, what I'm seeing is my own character defect. People are just mirrors. They just reflect you back and so my sponsor would often ask me, could you just love your unlovable parts? And as I learn to love my unlovable parts, I'm able to love people despite their character defects. And um, I have my girls go through, so I call this process of evolution or transformation. Um, if you spot it, 
you got it. <laughs> and it's typically met with, people are really pissed when they hear okay. that. They're like, what are you talking about? That guy's an asshole. I'm not an asshole. But the truth of the matter is if you boil it down, people are fearful, right? Like you were just saying, people are riddled with fear and people are caught up in the bondage itself. When I do my own work and I recognize my character defects and I get to, well, why am I being like that? I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Absolutely. And no I'm so it. sick of my... I'm so sick. I've, I've, I've acknowledged and recognized and got in touch with the whole bondage of self thing. It sucks. I, I'm so sick of my character defects. I don't want them. And chances are they don't either. The other person that I'm so mad at, they don't want their character defects either. No We're doubt fighting about the it, same Arlene, battle. No doubt about it. I'll tell you what, when I'm on my way to work and, you know, my character defect says, you know, there's this big long line, but if I go all the way to the near the front and I cut right in, well, you know, uh, I absolutely am going to get something that I want. And you know what? I got to get to work. You know, I don't know about you. Sorry, suckers, but I got to get to work. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. y'all can wait in the line all you want, but boy, is it the, is it a test of my character defect when somebody does it to me? Yeah. Selfish and self-centered. Bingo. Yeah. It's all about that. And, and when I recognize selfishness and self-centeredness in somebody else, uh, boy, does it, does it strike a nerve, which means that I do absolutely have to look at myself in the mirror, which is not easy to do. It's not. And, you know, I know it's so funny. My readings today, this morning, uh, and this, I do, uh, I like, I have a bunch of daily readers. Uh, one's um, Jesus Calling. I'm not super religious anymore, but I did find this. Um, I love me some Jesus. Uh, um, and I do have this book and it's just, and today's reading was about um, our only job really is to love. Mm. And then I drew this card from a, a deck that a friend gave me. Um, it's by Gabby Bernstein. It's called the universe has your back. And it's basically teaching from a book called a course in miracles. Yes. I love that. Are you familiar is, with that? Yes. <gasps> you are. Oh, indeed. So do you know Marianne Williamson and Gabby Bernstein? Yes. They both lecture. Yeah, amazing. Mary, Marianne Williamson, uh, get out of town. She is amazing. She saved my life when I first got sober because here's another thing. Here's and another little a, tool. She's a spiritual, quote, factory. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, gosh, dang. Yeah. So when I first got sober, and this is a little very practical tip, for people that are listening. It's like, obviously, if you're listening to a, a podcast, you're feeding your brain good stuff. Because I had this loud chatter going on in the mm -hmm. back of, of my mind um, that was largely critical, self-critical, right? And when I was listening, I would listen to Marianne Williamson tapes, right? T cassette tapes. <laughs> <laughs> That's how old I am. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I listened to her on repeat. I, I, I would wear out these tapes and she would lecture on different topics, love, money, career, just family, like all these different things. But I was feeding my brain something positive because if I wasn't feeding my brain something positive, then I was, then the negative committee would start up. Bingo. Yeah. So Bingo. The itty bitty have, shitty committee, as I've heard it called. The what? The itty bitty shitty committee. Oh, shitty committee. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
Yes. So podcasts are amazing. Um, I books on tape or tape. Um, Audible has oh, saved me too. 100%. I got like 90 titles on my. <laughs> I'm a huge advocate of being, uh, you know, uh, speaker yeah. tapes, you know, which are all online. I love, I, I listened to so many recovery speakers back in the day, Tom Brady yeah. Jr. And Sandy Beach. And, you know, uh, uh, just a, uh, a slew of, you know, remarkable recovery yeah. speakers that really had uh, an innate ability to be able to define my problem, mm. right? And my story was all over their story. Yeah. And, and, and <clears throat> define and embody the solution, which I desperately needed to hear. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we're here, the solution right now, right here on this podcast. So you are feeling all these feelings. You're working through the steps, Arlena. Yeah. You've got this traumatic experience that happened very early on in life. That has got to be something that is uh, that you're uh, having to contend with at some point. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, and then I did uh, therapy, which was huge. I mean, listen, I love AA, but that really just that really just gets you stable. And then it's time to dig in and call out the big guns and start dealing with things like uh, trauma and and your all your past uh, demons. Um, and they say that uh, just like in mainstream, they say that one out of every four. Uh, girls by the time they're 18 have been sexually assaulted in some way. Yeah. And I, I suspect that it's higher in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. But um, anyway, I called, I did, I called out the big guns and I, I did a bunch of therapy too. And I did something called process therapy, which is about identifying um, emotions and processing them to resolution, which was really interesting because I heard on an Oprah show that somebody said, you know, um, time does not heal all wounds. The pain waits, right? And, um, and the pain will come out sideways. And that's what the alcoholism is about. It's just a symptom of a deeper problem. So I did get professional help and it was, I, I feel really peaceful the majority of the time today. I don't, I don't, my self-esteem is really big. I do a lot of service work and, mm. you know, I have my podcast. I also have, um, sober life school where I kind of, uh, condensed all my favorite workshops and lessons into an online class. So I want to talk about both of those things. So let's do this. Let give me the ingredients. Uh, we, you know, your podcast is all about one day at a time. Yeah, O right? stands for one O-Dat. day at a time. Yeah. That's right. And so, give me the ingredients that Arlena you that um, uh, employs and mixes in in order to sustain recovery. One day at a time. One day at a time. Yeah. Even though I've been sober a long time, I do not feel that I'm above uh, relapse. I really don't. Um, like I like I was mentioning, I start my day with um, some readings, and I, um, you know, instead of doing a daily ten step, I have this um, journal. It's called the five minute journal. Um, I talk about it all the time because it um, it's it takes uh, it really does take five minutes. If you write down three things that you're grateful for right? Three things that would make today great and um, an affirmation of the day. And I've been obsessed with step seven for quite some time now. So usually my affirmation is along the lines of um, humbly seeking, you know, humbly asking God to remove my shortcomings, seeking to do God's will. Humility um, in step seven talks about that seeking and doing God's will. So 
um, that's really kind of how I start my day is a little bit of, a little bit of uh, prayer. And then um, at the end of the day, there's room for like um, what, what three things, you know, what amazing things happened during the day and what could you have done better? Right. That's like a 10 step. What could you have done better? So I use my five minute journal a lot and my, my daily readers. So I want you to send that to me in an email when we're done with this interview, yes. Arlita, because I am going to provide that those instructions Right. Okay. For the five minute journal on the show notes of okay. this podcast. So if you're listening to this right now, check the show notes. Yeah. And you will see instructions for the five <laughs> minute journal. Okay. That you can apply practically to your recovery toolkit today. Yeah. And I have I share at meetings all the time. And I have people come up to me later and go, oh my gosh, I got the book. It's amazing. And what I do with my sponsor and one of her other sponsees is uh, I write it in the morning and I take a picture of it and, and it, we're like in a group chat. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's yeah. tremendous. So you yeah. um, uh, uh, come out of the working the 12 steps, which really stabilized you sort of like, mm-hmm. a, a, a think about it like, you know, I'm losing massive amounts of blood and I go into the emergency room and they stop the bleeding and they stabilize my, they stabilize my heart and my pulse. Mm -hmm. And I'm sort of like out of the ICU now. Yeah. And I'm in, you know, uh, I'm now uh, considered, you know, stable. Now Mm -hmm. that real work can begin the therapy and, you know, some really uh, more intensive step work and spiritual work. Yeah. Now tell me what's manifested as a result of your recovery. Give me the, oh my goodness. the big things that have that have grown out of this uh, this process of recovery that yeah. you've been on now, and it's a continual process, right? For twenty five, yeah. for twenty five, for 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 twenty five years. Yeah, yeah, it's been twenty five years. So. Um, my husband and I, <laughs> I didn't follow direction very well, but um, my husband and I got together and I was about five or six months sober and we've been together ever since. So we've, my, my oldest is, uh, we've, we, we've raised two boys in a sober household oh. and um, it wasn't without, uh, you know, my older son had battled depression. He was like suicidal depression, um, but we got through it because we knew what to do. We knew to ask for help and we got him some help. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, they don't do drugs. They do well in school. Um, we're a pretty tight family. Um, my relationships with my my mom and my my dad, and I have a younger stepbrother. He and I are my dad remarried, and he and I are really close. I have really good family um, relationships. But um, this this life has given me meaning and purpose. Right? Like I have meaning. My life has purpose. I'm carrying the message, um, and that's when my heart really feels the most happy. Like when I work one-on-one with another woman, and I see the lights come on, or they they get it, or they come back to me years later, and you know they're grateful for something I said. I don't even remember I said, you know. Indeed. And the truth of the matter is, is, they were saving me. They a lot. They were saving me the whole time, right? They kept me in the book. They kept me in the steps, and. Um, I don't know. My life is beautiful. I just, I just moved um, out of state and we have this big, beautiful house and um, my career is going really well. 
um, these guys I used to work with, the CEO, I'm in high tech sales. And I, you know what, Arlita, I am too. So we have that in common. We're both You're in high tech sales. I absolutely am. Get the <laughs> fuck out. That is hilarious. Okay, let's. We'll have to talk when this is over. Yeah. When you hit pause at the end. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yep, I am uh, the director of sales for a technology company. <laughs> oh my company, god, are so. you serious? <laughs> I am. I am very serious. <laughs> so funny it is oh my god yeah so my former ceo and field rep called me and they were like what are you gonna do for work when you go to at home and i'm like i don't know and they're like we're doing budget planning for 2019 we'll create a position for you boom <laughs> boom and then so check this out so i was actually fighting the whole sales thing i was like this can't be why God put me on the planet. Right, I know, right, right. Plain software, right? It's like, this <laughs> can't be my purpose. And then my husband finally goes, you know what? You are in that job. And he's 30 years sober. So he's like, uh, and I'm older than him. He got sober really <laughs> But he's like, this is where you are. There must be a reason. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm just going to surrender. It's like one of those times where I go, okay, yeah. I'm just surrender. I'm going to stop side hustling so hard because I always have like some kind of side hustle going, like podcasting or whatever. But um, I am going to lean into my sales gig. When I lean in, I'm like, I'm going to do the best I can. God's going to have to heal me of my character defects at work. You know, um, yeah, I'm ADHD, typical salesperson, Probably. right? I'm like, whatever. I'm going to lean in, Charlie. I'm going to lean in and do my best at work. Well, Turns out I'm the only inside salesperson that works for this particular company. The rest of their inside sales team is in prison. It's a women's prison program where they use the inmates and they're training them with professional skills. Get out. Yes, so that when they're released, they have a skill set. I know, isn't that amazing? Get out. Come so, on. So there's this girl. So I get aligned with this girl and she's booking my meetings for me and she's really good and um, she's been doing it a couple years already and we get on this cut. We have a weekly call, just me and her to talk about account alignment and law targets and all that stuff. And, uh, somehow, um, we get to talking about, like, I could tell she wanted to tell me why she was there. I never asked, but she wanted to tell me why she was in prison. She's in the Arizona state prison. And, um, we get to talking and we got, we all of a sudden, I was like, look, I'm a, I'm a recovered drug addict, an alcoholic, you know, me and you are the same. Yeah. Let's, let's not, let's not be confused about what's going on. Don't be confused about who I am. Mm -hmm. Right. And we have this amazing God filled conversation. And she said, how did you stay sober 25 years? And I was like, I did the 12 steps. She goes, you made me really work. Oh. Oh, I'm like, girlfriend, you are breaking my heart. Oh, like, yes, come yes. on. Yeah, right. And I, I go, that. yes. I go, do you want to work the steps? I'll work the steps with you. She was like, would you really? And I was like, yes. Like, you have no idea. This like, it helps me. Like, you're, you don't know this, but you are helping me. And she's Absolutely. like, no way. I send her some books and we're going to do it old school. We're going to do it like, remember back in the day? Absolutely. Like, and yeah, the people Absolutely. got sober through letters. And they sure did. And you know what? And they did it quick. You know, one of the things I always tell people is that, you know, there's no reason that working the 12 steps needs to take, you know, uh, 12 years, you know, you know, <laughs> yeah. we can get this thing done relatively quickly. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, harness that. Uh, the power that's within the willingness in the beginning of, yeah. you know, I don't ever feel like this again. Perfect. Yeah. We got some work to do. We're going to get through it and we're done. 
Yeah. But you won't have to feel like that again. We can move mountains, but you better bring a shovel. That's right. That's that's a hundred percent. Tell me about Odette Chat and okay. what else you have going on. Yeah. I want my audience, and we're gonna and we're gonna have uh, obviously a link to Odette Chat. Yeah. Uh, uh, so you guys could take a, uh, a listen to all the great, great stuff <laughs> you got going on at Odat Chat. Yeah, there can, uh, there can never be too many recovery podcasts, I don't think. There's a lot of people with a lot of great stories that just need to get out there. And um, so Sober Life School is, is all the, so let me see. Odat Chat is another recovery podcast. Uh, you will be a guest on there where we, you shared your experience, strength and hope, and we kind of got into it and um, like we're doing now. Um, and I'm really trying to focus on some solutions. Um, and I, and I did start sober life school at soberlifeschool.com. Soberlifeschool.com. And what am I going to find there when I go there? Those are online classes. There's, there's one called holding safe space. So, um, what I realized early on is like some people don't want to drop a four step with somebody in their community. Mm. or they don't, they're remote, people who live remote and just don't um, have access to consistent um, help. And so I will work one-on-one with people um, to either work steps. Oh, or, that is so cool. So you're yeah. actually engaging one-on-one uh, with people yeah. uh, working through step work. Well, yeah, so there's that's just one little piece of it. And it's not really step work because you know, I got it for free. So I don't, whatever. Um, but there, there are certain things that people like, uh, inventory stuff, maybe a four step, that you don't want to drop, you know, there's, you can book time with me for sure, but there's some online classes like relationship rescue. Um, that's about a couple who wants to are so embittered in resentment that they have a hard time. Uh, they're about to break up, you know, but I have a process. It's like an inventory process. It's a relationship inventory is what it is. And then it's a plan to move forward so that you can get closer to the person that you love. And Oh, that's great. Yeah. So that's, that's on sober life school, but you know, just both things are like a culmination of all the best. I'm an avid reader and obsessive learner. So, you know, um, the connection cure is the class where it's about building self-esteem. It's about building a, a spiritual practice, um, because I really feel, and there's some exercises in there. I do like this little girl exercise where you write a letter, you get a picture of your little, well, in your case, a little boy, um, but where you find a picture of yourself as a child and you write a letter to that child. Oh, that's so great. Oh my God. It was like my, I, I it's a, um, an exercise that I learned on retreat that was just transformative. And when oh. I do, when I do this class, I've done the class as a group, but you, it's available online. But I when I, that. when, when people do that particular exercise, man, they, people come back and go, wow, I had dreams that night and super transformative. So all my favorite exercises are in the connection here. In the So soberlifeschool.com, we will have that link here on the show notes as well as O-D-A-T. O-D-A-A-T. One day at a time. It'll all be in there. I didn't think it through and I named it. Like the Way Out podcast, that's very simple. ODAT, people get very confused. The the question, though, is do you know, uh, you've got to, right, where I got the name for the podcast? The Way Out? No, what? That was the the name for the big book (gasps) before it was called Alcoholics Anonymous, but they realized there was like three or four other books called (laughs) Way Out. 
Really? I did not know that. 100%. Yep. So they couldn't call it The Way Out, and they just simply Uh, called it Alcoholics Anonymous. So it was actually the working title of the big book. Oh, my God. That's amazing. I did not know that. Ah, learn something new. Love it. Before we say goodbye, Arlita, give me the uh, one book that you would recommend every person in recovery or contemplating recovery read. Just one. Just one. Man, that's rough. Uh Uh-oh. Thank you. Uh-oh. Oh, oh, we got you back. I think you're back. Are you there? Yeah, we're back. Okay, sorry. Okay, you were saying the one book? The one book. So many. Um, uh, Outside of Alcoholics Anonymous, A New Earth rocked my world. A New Earth. Yeah, Eckhart Tolle. Okay, I'm in. I'm in. But, you know, we already already talked about A Course in Miracles. Absolutely. Amazing. Um, One of the, but before I even got sober was A Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck. Mm. That was amazing because that was about... um, accepting responsibility for my part. Mm. That was where I first got that concept that I had to just own my part, that I was not responsible or could control anybody else but my own behavior. Like my job was to accept responsibility for my part. And I'm a big drop the rock guy. So everybody knows here that, you know, the drop the rock and then the ripple effect where, I mean, get out of here. Great. So good. Great. Super good. Arlena, thank you so much for being a part of the Way Out podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. So much fun. All righty. Say goodbye to the Way Out podcast audience, Arlena. Goodbye. Thank you for being a part of the Way Out. We appreciate your ears. We're sharing powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics every week. So keep listening up. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast, all one word, dot com. There you can subscribe to the Way Out podcast on all of the major podcast aggregators, such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean, Overcast, and more. Or simply drop your hosts a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact us at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time. And remember, if you don't change, your sobriety date will.